Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City. It's the Kansas City Royals 4, the Cleveland Guardians 3 in 10 innings. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And we absolutely gave away this game to the Kansas City Royals. Not only did we give away the game to the Kansas City Royals, we gave away first place to the Minnesota Twins, who weren't even playing yesterday, and uh, now slide back into a tie uh, atop the American League Central. So I told you not to get too excited about first base, uh, first place, right? I told you uh, maybe once this team got over 500, I'd start to get excited about first place. And so, uh, yeah, we slipped back into a tie a 488 win percentage for both teams, even though they've played uh, more games than us. Uh, I believe two more games than us. Uh, so, yeah. So, top storylines in this game should be, should be Jose Ramirez's slide. Should be uh, the Guardians putting up 13 hits. Should be Shane Bieber with a fantastic start. But they're not now. The there's two things that supersede all of those, and it's the bullpen falling apart late, and it's uh, bad base running. Some bad base running decisions really cost the Guardians in this one. So I mean, let's jump into it where the bullpen falls apart because it is it is the Kansas City Royals with a walk off win. It's the top storyline of the game. And it starts with Stefan in the eighth inning, who gives away that two-run lead. And it was just a bad outing. It, Stefan, uh, you know, he I think we talked about this. Uh, he, he had pitched good uh, a few days ago, but his last few outings have been rough. I'm going over to his game log here. Uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, two appearances ago, again, or three. Uh, Three appearances ago against the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, he comes in, pitches a scoreless eighth inning, two strikeouts. He's given up runs now in his last three appearances. So, not great there. Uh, Milwaukee, and then both appearances in this Kansas City series, he's given up runs. So, uh, not ideal. Not ideal for your who's supposed to be your setup man, uh, who's supposed to be uh, someone who shuts things down for your closer. Uh, he does have his highest ERA this month, the month of June. Uh, he went from a zero, e- well, March doesn't count, two games. Zero ERA in March, a 1.74 ERA in April, a 2.45 ERA in May, and now he's up to a 3.86 ERA for the month of June. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure he's glad to see the calendar turning to July, but uh, he's He's gotten worse each month, so I don't know exactly what's going on with Stefan. I can tell you that, uh, you know, in some of these other appearances, he definitely hangs one uh, in the middle of the plate. And in this one, uh, it's a walk. It's a leadoff walk that costs him. Uh, Nicky Lopez, uh, uh, not a leadoff walk, I'm sorry, a one-out walk. Uh, Walks will kill relievers. Uh, So he walks Nicky Lopez. Drew Waters with a single. Lopez goes first to third. And then Oliveris with a deep drive. Would have been a home run in 23 out of 30 ballparks. It goes as a sack fly in Kauffman Stadium. 
brings in Nicky Lopez to score. And then Drew Waters is able to uh, steal second base. So, uh, you know, you give up another base there. And then a Nick Prado single brings him in to score. So uh, a bad inning uh, by Trevor Steffen. He would actually go on to hit Bobby Witt Jr., so it could have gotten worse uh, before Salvador Perez finally lines out. Uh, lines out sharply. Uh, hits an outside fastball at 101 miles per hour, but lines out to Will Brennan in right field. Uh, so I told you, uh, you know, I remember him being in the middle of the plate for some of these batters. Uh, looking at the at bat against Nicky Lopez, he just can't locate his forcing fastball. Uh, he just he misses with four consecutive pitches after Lopez fouled off the first fastball. Uh, then he gets Drew Waters. He does end up middle of the plate. He gives him a fastball middle middle at only ninety three point eight. So the velocity isn't quite there. Stefan Stefan usually has a lot more heat. On that four seam fastball, uh, I guess I guess not. His yearly average is really ninety four point eight. Is ninety five miles per hour is his yearly average? I thought he got more velocity on that fastball, but uh, he was only averaging ninety four on the day uh, with it here. We've definitely seen him pop that fastball higher, right? Um, but going back to the matchup, so he puts one right down the middle for Drew Waters. He pulls it at one hundred and one point nine into right field. Uh, so he smokes one down the middle. Oliveri is the pinch hitter. Frankly, reaches out and gets a slider away and uh, pulls it in the left field. Uh, kind of surprised he's able to pull a pitch like this uh, that's on the outside edge of the plate. I guess Stefan didn't get it outside enough, but it's a first pitch slider. So I, I can see how he's going for the edge here. It, it's not a bad pitch from Stefan. Uh, Prado then would uh, get kind of a hanging splitter. He'd work a five-pitch at-bat against Stefan. It's off the plate, uh, but it's up. And uh, there's a difference there between a 95-mile-per-hour fastball that's on that outside edge. It goes for a called strike, makes it a uh, one-and-two count to then uh, throwing a splitter up like this. He throws a splitter in the dirt that he lays off. And this one, he just he leaves it up around the belly. And it's just at 86.6, it's just kind of hanging out there. And he's able to poke it into center field. He only hits it 72 miles per hour, but he just pokes it into center field. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's that's that splitter has to be down. Uh, you can't really hang it. It's like hanging a changeup like that. Uh, so that's how Prado gets his hit um, before Salvador Perez finally lines out to end the inning. So it's a bad outing by Trevor Steffen. Henges actually holds down the ninth inning. And then Classe comes in for the 10th. And that's a mistake. It's Classe does not do well in this in extra innings. He doesn't. He gives up a single to Nicky Lopez. It's so here's the thing. It's a dumb single. It, it's kind of a it he hits it to first base. It's a 62.1 mile power exit velocity, minus 51 degree launch angle. He just buries one into the ground to first base. But the way Naylor had to charge in on it, Classe doesn't, you know, thinks that he might field the ball, but then bails on it. Naylor finally fields it, and no one's covering first base. And Nicky Lopez is a ridiculously fast runner, and he's safe at first. So some bad fundamentals there. Uh, you know, for someone who gets a ton of ground balls, uh, you think Classe would be ready to cover first base. 
but he just he hesitates for a second thinking he's going to get this one and uh Nicky Lopez uh beats it out for an infield hit. So there you go. Gives up an infield hit, it moves that pinch runner over, right? It moves that pinch runner over. He's able to strike out Drew Waters, but then Freddie Fermin gets him. And I think they mentioned this on the podcast, uh, or the podcast, I'm doing the podcast. I think they mentioned this on the broadcast that Fermin is one of the hottest hitters in the Royals lineup, and he's pinch hitting here. And middle of the plate, Classe gives him a slider, middle, middle. Uh, he had fouled off two sliders in a row that were down, uh, fouled off some tough pitches, actually fouled off three in a row here uh, towards the end of his at-bat. So he's in full swing mode, and ex- instead of making him expand the strike zone, it's only a 2-2 count, so he does have another pitch to waste. And instead of getting him to expand the strike zone, and I believe the catcher was set up pretty far outside for this pitch, he hangs a slider middle, middle, and uh, Fermin pulls it down the left field line. Uh, he's a pull hitter for sure. 83.9, but drops it right on the chalk. Uh, it rolls into the corner. Uh, and they're able to come all the way around. The pinch runner scores. Lopez comes around from first to score. And the Royals walk it off on Classe. Now, why do I say it's a mistake to have Classe in there in extra innings? In the ninth inning, he's got a 2.12 ERA. We know how good he is in the ninth inning. He's got a 0.97 whip. In extra innings, he in five games now, he's got an 8-10 ERA. In three and a third inning, he's allowed seven runs to come in and score. That includes that pinch runner at second base. Three earned runs to come in and score, so three extra runs. That would be that walk-off run that came in yesterday. He's got a 2.7 whip in extra innings. I told you Classe struggles with that runner on second. He he does. He struggles in extra innings, even when it's a save situation like it was yesterday with the 3-2 Guardians lead going into the bottom of the 10th. Something about that runner on second base messes him up. So, you know, one of our emailers suggested, you know, why was he out there? Why not flip that around? Uh, Marlin. Marlin uh, suggested, why not flip that around and have Classe pitch the ninth and then have Henches come in uh, to pitch the 10th? Uh, yeah, it's it's really starting to look like you can't trust Classe in that extra inning situation. You got to pitch him in the ninth no matter what the situation is. Uh, I mean, sorry, wait, your track record shows an 8-10 ERA. That's a rough situation. Now, remember, Terry Francona, to Marlon's email, and he had a lot of questions about some decisions made late in this game. To Marlon's email, Francona wasn't on the bench. This this was DeMarlo Hale filling in. We haven't even talked about that. Francona's been uh, out with lightheadedness, uh, so not feeling well. Could be the heat. I don't know. They haven't really said what uh, the cause is. Um, but he hasn't, he's been out the entire Kansas City series. So Hale has been, uh, calling these games. So maybe he's not willing to make those kind of decisions without Francona there. Maybe he's kind of playing it by the book. And, uh, that's the reason that's the answer to a lot of questions, uh, that, uh, that Marlon has in his email. So we give away the game and it's incredibly frustrating ending because, Jose Ramirez has one of the gutsiest plays, one of the gutsiest slides in the top of the 10th inning. Naylor, he's the pinch runner who starts at second. Naylor with a productive out. He grounds out to the right side. It moves Ramirez over to third. 
That's what we're talking about. If you're if you're going to make outs, it's okay as long as they're productive outs. They move him to third. He said he was watching the whole time he was watching. Um, but why am I blanking on his name? Jesus, we faced him enough, right? Uh, Araldus Chapman. He's watching Chapman. And Chapman doesn't hold runners. We know this about Chapman. He doesn't look runners back. And especially a runner at third base, he's not even looking at Jose Ramirez. Now, he said he didn't want to take the bat out of Josh Bell's hands. So he's letting Bell hit. Bell strikes out. <sighs> Man, Bell, uh, the clutchness of Bell. Uh, he, he's gotten some hits lately. But the clutch, I mean, he was two for four on the day, but at the wrong times, right? Uh, we needed him uh, here in the uh, in extra innings to drive Ramirez in. Or at least to make a productive out. And instead, he strikes out. But Ramirez is watching. He's watching Chapman. He's noticing Chapman. Still doing the high leg kick. Not looking over to third base. He waits a few more pitches for Jimenez and Jimenez is at bat. And then finally goes. And gets a pretty good running lead. But, I mean, Chapman throws the ball so hard that uh, it gets there. The ball gets there to home plate. And then Ramirez does one of the best slides you'll ever see. Slides to the inside of the bag, reaches his arm around Salvador Perez, taps the plate. Perez can't get him on the arm, can't get him in the armpit, finally slaps it on his thigh, but his hand definitely crosses home plate. Before that, they get the call wrong on the field. I can I can see why, because it looks like Salvador Perez comes within inches of tagging his arm. But they had an overhead shot. Uh, over home plate that absolutely shows he does not make contact with his arm, doesn't make contact until he gets to his thigh, and Ramirez's hand comes around that glove and taps the plate. So an absolutely gutsy play. I mean, Mandy Bell had all sorts of stats in her article about this. You know, like it's only been done so many times in extra innings. The Guardians haven't had a steal of home since Leonis Martin in 2019, I think it was. I mean, the steal of home is one of the most exciting plays in Major League Baseball, right? It's right up there with the in-the-park home run. It's just all guts. All guts are, you know, uh, you either look like a fool or you get the glory, right? There's no in-between. And uh, it should have been Ramirez's glory. We should be celebrating him. We should have been carrying him off on our shoulders. But instead, we blow the game in the top of the 10th inning. And we, we blow this highlight from Ramirez. We blow this steal of home. Now, the other thing I'll say about this is watching the play, when Ramirez, you know, goes into a belly first slide, and I saw this uh, when he was going into second two on a steal, it's only natural he closes his eyes. When, When you belly flop like that, it's natural for your eyes to close at that point of contact, right? Your body's taking a big impact right there. So pretty sure as he's sliding in and wrapping his hand around, I'm pretty sure his eyes were closed. It's just natural. That's what happens when you slide and his eyes do open to see that he's tapped the plate. But I'm pretty sure he beat that tag with his eyes closed. And uh, he just knew where he was going. He knew where he had to go to get around Perez. Um, so, yeah, just... Jose Ramirez continues to be one of the best base runners in all of Major League Baseball. And, I mean, obviously, just puts this team on his shoulder time and time again. And he did it here in the 10th inning, in the top of the 10th, to make sure he... They said, again, he knew how important it was to score. He knew 
the away team has to score in the top of the 10th inning. And uh, he's able to get it done, at least for us there. Uh, Other things in this game. So that's the good base running. The bad base running in this game is we have multiple people thrown out at the bases. Uh, There's a point in this game where Andres Jimenez is thrown out at home. It's a ball that's chopped, uh, a ball hit on the infield where he tries to come home from third and score, and he's gunned out at the plate. Josh Bell is thrown out, although I'm still not sure. They replayed it, and I'm still not sure they actually got the tag on him before his foot got in there. Uh, But Josh Bell tries to go first to third, and he's thrown out at third base. And then Brennan, probably with the worst of all, um, you know, I talk about all the time how when you make that decision to go, you got to go, right? No hesitation. Brennan doesn't hesitate going around third base. He he thinks this ball's in the gap in right center field. He thinks for sure he's got third base. He doesn't realize how quickly the ball ricochets back to the right fielder who makes a very strong throw back into the infield. And, I mean, they gun him out by a couple steps at third base. So, normally that non-hesitation is a good thing. In this situation, it would have been... He doesn't even look up at the third base coach. Maybe if he glances at the third base coach. I don't know what Sarbaugh was doing. He's not in the highlight. Maybe he would have waved them back to second. I don't know. Throwing up the stop sign. I don't know. It, It was a bad... You know, it's a bad bounce for Brennan. And he's thrown out. So, that's three runners thrown out on the bases. So, that's how you could have... 13 hits in a game and only two runs to show for it. There were so many situations. The Guardians go uh, one for eight with runners in scoring position. They leave 10 on base. They really, really wasted opportunities all day long when they should have put the Kansas City Royals away, including the first inning with two outs. They load the bases. Ramirez with a walk, Naylor with a single, Bell with a walk before Jimenez grounds out. They can't get a run in there. Um, so many times they either left guys on base or they uh, they uh, they couldn't get the run in. Uh, in the fourth inning, they have back-to-back singles uh, in the fourth inning. Uh, and then Miles Straw hits into a fielder's choice and Cam Gallagher pops out. Man, with Straw and Gallagher hitting eight and nine, it's almost like you're playing this game with seven batters. It really is. I, Straw does have a couple of hits in this one, but they're always with the bases empty. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, man, well, yeah, with runners in scoring position, Straw is not the guy I want up to bat. You finally get some runs in the fifth inning. Uh, you, do, you have a nice little rally here uh, in the fifth inning. Uh, including Quan kicking off a single. Uh, Ramirez scores him on a sack fly. Uh, and then they rally for a few more hits. Naylor with a double. And then uh, Bell singles him in before Andres Jimenez hits a single. And Bell tries to go first to third. And he's thrown out there. So that kind of kills the rally right there. Uh, another lead. And then the Brennan would have been a leadoff single or a leadoff double. But he's thrown out at third. And then Straw actually does hit one at 103.5 through the infield. It would have been, with Brennan at second base, it would have been an RBI single. It would have been another run. So you by that bad base running, you give up another run. Hey, if Brennan hits that double in the gap with Bell and Jimenez on first and third, maybe Jimenez comes around and scores. So again, you give up with bad base running, you give up more runs there. 
So yeah, so uh, the Guardians have no one to blame but themselves for this loss. All right, let's talk pitching really quick because uh, Bieber was very good, much better than Granky. Uh, Bieber goes six innings, two hits, that's it, no runs, one walk, eight strikeouts on only 81 pitches. He's hard hit three times. Another question Marlon had in his email was, how come Bieber was pulled after pitching six innings, only 81 pitches? I'm guessing because of the heat. I mean, it was supposed to be like a 100-degree day. Uh, They kept talking on the broadcast about how hot it was on the field. I'm guessing maybe because of the heat. Uh, And that's just that six innings pitch is a a heck of a job in a 100-degree heat. That's my only guess. Uh, Or maybe they're just... Maybe his arm wasn't feeling it after six innings. I, there wasn't a clear answer. I didn't hear anything in the post game on it. Uh, what was his last few batters like before he's pulled? I mean, he shuts him down in the sixth, ground out, ground out, and strike out Bobby Witt Jr. to end that sixth inning. So I don't know. Maybe a combination of those things. Uh, Bieber was uh, pretty effective, pretty decent whiff rate on the day. A 34% whiff rate on the day, mostly coming on the cutter and the slider, uh, not the curveball on this one, although he does have five called strikes on the knuckle curve, which is a little strange. We're used to seeing that in the whiff column. The cutter actually was a good pitch for him on the day. It had a 46% whiff rate. That's better than that pitch usually is. Uh, I heard them talking about this on the Selby's Godcast, how uh, the cutter hasn't been a good pitch for him, and yeah, it hasn't. Uh, it's got a plus one run value. Uh, his changeup also has a plus one run value, but he's only thrown it 3.8% of the time, so not a pitch he uses very often. The cutter he uses 28% of the time. It's his second most used pitch, and it's got a plus one run value. Meanwhile, everything else, the fastball, the slider, and the curveball all have negative run values, which as a pitcher, that's what you want uh, in this stack cast column. Uh, it normally has... Uh, they, they, they hit pretty well off it. They usually hit 309 off that cutter. It's got a 468 expected or a 468 true slugging with a 537 expected slugging. It's usually only got a 29.9% whiff rate. Uh, so yeah, so not one of his more effective pitches. Uh, in the past, uh, it has been a little better for him. Last year, it was a better pitch for him. Last year, it only had a 245 batting average against. Uh, the whiff rate was actually less, but he put away more batters with it. Uh, last year, it did have a negative run value. It was a negative six in 2022. So a pitch that has worked for him in the past has not been his best pitch this season, but it's really good on this one. And uh, going over to the illustrator here, uh, looking at the strikeouts, uh, he gets a, a couple of them on that uh, cutter. Gets a couple on the force on the forcing fastball. Gets three on the fastball, uh, and then gets a one of them uh, is to Drew Waters here. And I think this was actually a uh, a pitch clock violation, and so it just shows the last pitch in the fifth inning that Bieber threw him. So that's a little bit strange there. And then a couple on the slider. And Bobby Wood Jr. swung through a slider right down the middle of the plate. I mean, he hung a slider to him and he swung through it. And then he got uh, Prado and Salvador Perez to chase sliders way off the plate, way in the dirt. Um, But two cutters get him strikeouts uh, on this one, one to either edge of the plate. 
Uh, so he's throwing it to it. He's kind of throwing everything all over. I'm, I'm going to be honest here. Uh, he wasn't really pounding the strike zone. Uh, he was a little bit wide with his four-seam fastball. A uh, little bit wide with that cutter. Really letting that cutter reach across to the glove side of the plate. Um, let's see who he was throwing the cutter to mostly. Uh, right-handed batters getting them to try to expand the strike zone off the plate. And then did throw a few inside the left-handed hitters too. So... Uh, mixing up his locations, but not really pounding the strike zone, I would say. Not like we've seen in the past where he pounds that glove side of the plate uh, or picks one side of the plate to attack for Beaver. But still, against the Kansas City Royals offense, a pretty effective day from Shane Beaver, right? He manages to handle a couple of leadoff doubles early in the game. And when you can strike guys out, you can live like this. He lets Melendez uh, double the lead off the second before he strikes out Garcia, strikes out Isbell, and Duffy would fly out. Uh, Waters would double off on the lead off the third. He would actually pick Waters off uh, at second base. A great move from Bieber to pick off a runner leaning off second base before finally striking out Taylor and Prado to end that inning. So uh, the strikeout was really working for him in this game. And, uh, I mean, we're not used to seeing Bieber only give up three hard-hit balls. So this is this was a really, really good game from Shane Bieber against a really, really bad offense. Um, all right, what else do I want to throw in here from this game? I did tell you Fermin is maybe the hottest hitter in Kansas City's lineup. Looking at his splits by month, uh, he didn't have many plate appearances in April. But he only hit 143. He, he played a little bit down in AAA to start the season. When he was finally called up at 143 in April, 237 batting average in the month of May. In 34 plate appearances now in June, he's hitting 375 with a 975 OPS. So he has definitely turned it on in the month of June right here. Uh, really got himself to a respectable batting average. Uh, I mean, overall, he's hitting 286 with an 851 OPS for the uh, backup catcher for Mean there. So uh, at age 28, you know, he's finally broken through to the majors. Uh, he got a few, uh, I mean, played, played in three games last year. So really, this is his first taste of the major leagues. And uh, he's having some a decent season for the backup catcher. Uh, and he makes us pay with a big walk-off hit in the 10th inning. So I think that's all my thoughts on this one. Uh, it's it's a big disappointment. A big disappointment. MVP on the day was probably Shane Bieber. I mean, as good as Ramirez stealing home uh, in the 10th inning was, doesn't win us the game, unfortunately. And uh, I thought Bieber, I mean, this was really one of his best pitching performances of the entire season. Again, no surprise it was against the Royals, but still, give him credit there. Uh, this, this is the kind of pitching we need from Shane Bieber uh, in the second half of the season. This super efficient, uh, getting those strikeouts, limiting hard-hit balls. Uh, that's what we need from Shane Bieber. So MVP on the day goes to him. All right, let's finish up the emails here. Um, I think we covered Marlon's uh, email pretty well there. You know, he says... You know, Marlon always checks uh, who we're playing, what 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 the record should be. He says, starting with the A's series, I felt the team needed to go eight and one and sweep both the A's and Royals. Instead, they only go six and three. Now they have the Cubs and Braves on the horizon. Yeah, Marlon, that's why that's why on this show we don't really play that game, right? We take the games for what they are. 
I'm not going to sit here and predict, oh, we need to sweep them and win two out of three from them. And I'm not going to play that game because it's never going to go the way you think it is. So just enjoy the games. Just sit back and see what happens in the games. Uh, We got an email from Zach in Illinois, and he's checking in before the Guardians head out to uh, Wrigley Field. He says, hey, Davey, today's game was tough. With some of the base running mistakes today, it really felt like the team took uh, today for granted. It seems like they thought they were going to win and made some dumb mistakes. Hate that it overshadowed one of the greatest slides that I've ever seen, at least. Uh, Anyway, better news, tomorrow is my first time seeing the team in person this season. I live outside Chicago in a small town, so tomorrow I'm headed to Wrigley with one of my best friends who is a big Cubs fan. That's going to be a lot of fun there, Zach. Uh, Wrigley is such a great experience. Looking forward to it. I see the guards on the south side later in July, and then coming in the first weekend in August to catch the Hall of Fame induction and a few games that weekend in Cleveland. Anyways, here's hoping for a better game tomorrow at Wrigley. Yeah, Zach, uh, thanks for checking in. Wrigley is a really fun uh, place to see a game. I'll tell you my my Wrigley Field story really quick to wrap up the podcast. Uh, I was on a school trip in high school, and uh, I think I was a senior in high school. We were on a school trip to Chicago. They drop us off at Navy Pier, the big tourist spot there in downtown Chicago, and they say, go nuts for, I think it was like three or four hours, be back at the bus in like four hours, right? So I'm sure people went shopping. I'm sure they rode the Ferris wheel and did all sorts of things on Navy Pier. Me and my buddies knew that there was a day game going on at Wrigley Field. We literally ran up to the L, took the L down uh, up to the north side to Wrigley, got off, got tickets. I think we bought tickets off scalpers maybe, went in, had a hot dog, watched. I got a got a Cubs hat because I never go to a game without picking one team to root for. I got to have something on. I went to a Philly spring training game. I got a Phillies hat. If you see me playing old man softball, I'm out there wearing the Phillies hat cuz I I don't care how sweaty it gets. It's just a good hat. Um so I get a Cubs hat. We sit there, we have a hot dog. I think we watched four innings. Run downstairs, find a taxi, take that taxi back to Navy Pier. The supervisors of the trip are standing outside the bus, tapping their toes, going, where the heck are those guys? And we just come strolling out of this cap. And you go, where were you? We go, Wrigley Field. They go, what? They go, yeah, Cubs game. And get back on the bus and leave them dumbfounded and speechless. There's nothing we could do. We were graduating seniors. What could they do to us? Uh, So, yeah, that's my Wrigley Field story. I definitely... Uh, escaped the school trip and uh, went and checked out the stadium. So that was my only time there. I've never been back. So no, 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 that's not true. That's not true. On a bachelor party, I believe we did go sit uh, in the outfield. So I have seen another game. Uh, we did a bachelor party in Chicago, and I, we did go to a game there, sat in the outfield. Uh, so that two Wrigley Field experiences. All right, so yeah. Uh, obviously, a rematch of the 2016 World Series. So, I, for the for the foreseeable future, the Cubs will always have an important place in Cleveland baseball memories, right? We were anytime we face the Cubs, it's going to be a thing. I believe, looking at some of the sites, I believe, including the playoffs, we're eight and eight all time in Wrigley Field, uh, six and seven in the regular season, and two and one. In the playoffs there. So I believe we go into Wrigley with an 8-8 eight and eight record uh, in that stadium. So we will see 
what the Guardians are able to do. Uh, kicking off, remember, it's actually a day game today. It's a 2:20 start, so some day baseball, and it's Cal Quantrill making his return. Uh, Logan Allen actually got sent down to Triple A. Uh, remember, he only lasts three and two-thirds innings, right? So he goes down. No clear indication if that's permanent, if that's just because they knew they were doing this. You know, Quantrill was coming into the starting rotation. So Allen's start would have been pushed back. So they needed another bullpen arm. I don't know. But we'll see how this Quantrill in the starting rotation and what happens with Logan Allen, how this shakes out. I think Allen probably needed a little bit more work at AAA. Clearly going three and two-thirds in a start isn't a great sign uh, remember, he threw like 98 pitches. So he's the one that suffers uh, with Quantrill coming back. So he is starting to get against the lefty steal for uh, the Cubs, who's been very good for them. 8-2 and two with a 2.62 ERA. So probably one of their better starters uh, this season. I don't know much about him. So we'll see what the guards can do. Obviously, it's not going to feel like a total rematch of the 2016 World Series because a lot of those guys aren't on the Cubs anymore. In fact, is there anyone left? I don't know. We'll find out uh, once this game starts. I don't I don't believe so. Uh, so that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. A disappointing one. A disappointing one. We should have swept the Royals. We absolutely should have. All right. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at ClevelandBaseballMornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game. We'll discuss them on the show. Let me know your Wrigley Field stories if you got any. Uh, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Spotify. If you go to the link in the show notes, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.